It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by Rick Vavro and Austin Underground. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined this morning by C.J. Vogel, Bobby Burton, and Jerry Hamilton. And an eventful day yesterday, somewhat, <laughs> due to a Sark's press conference. But before we get to that, Jerry, I know you've been on the road. You're seeing recruits. Can you give folks a little recruiting information out there? Yeah, I saw somebody checking in from Lindale this morning. Tell me where you're checking in from. I love that. That's just That makes me so happy to see where all the Texas fans are at, where they're checking in from. I mentioned Lindale uh, because, obviously, I've been driving up and down uh, 59 in East Texas. I was at Lufkin a couple of days ago, made uh, a trio of stops yesterday. I'll talk about a couple of those today. Uh, but I, I was at Tyler Chapel Hill yesterday to see Ricky Stewart, Desmond uh, uh, Demetrius Brisbane, uh, Baylor commitment, Ricky Stewart, obviously a Texas target at running back. Uh, then I went over to Kilgore uh, to see Jaden Sanders, 2025 DB, and, and a 2026 D lineman that's got a chance. I mean, uh, the kid's got a chance. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit uh, more. Uh, but on Ricky Stewart, I thought it, it was so interesting. Maybe not what I actually learned at Chapel Hill, although I'll say this. We talked about – CJ and I were talking last night with Ray Peters about – what, and we'll get into this, why it's such a great year to be Steve Sarkeesian coaching because you got close and you didn't get to the mountaintop, right? So the, the everybody's still super motivated to get to that mountaintop. I thought yesterday watching the Chapel Hill in their athletic period, uh, that, that looked like a, a coaching staff and a team that's been really, really close – uh, and they know they have that one last step. Uh, they look like a team that had a, uh, a a disappointing end of their season against Anna last year in the state championship. But those guys were focused. That staff was focused. I love going in and watching organized workouts and, and kids really getting after. But with Ricky Stewart, uh, more than anything I picked up from the visit to Chapel Hill, and I think Texas is a big leader for Ricky Stewart, um, it, it was when I went to Kilgore uh, because they've played him two times each of the last three years in district and in the playoffs. Kilgore and Chapel Hill are running into each other, and they will again next year. Um, and, and I asked the, the staff at Kilgore High about Ricky Stewart, and the answer I got was interesting. They're like, he has the extra gear. He's faster than you think. Um, and then I asked to compare him to some other running backs they went up against. And every time I asked about somebody else, they said Ricky Stewart was faster. And that caught my attention because that is a fast district. That is a fast area of East Texas. There's a lot of big time running backs in East Texas. Um, and the answer I got every time was Ricky Stewart has a different gear, 
faster to the second level than even you think when you're watching him on tape, then you go against him. And as he's matured as a back, he's gotten more physical. Uh, so that kind of falls in line with uh, with some other things I was told at Chapel Hill yesterday about Ricky Stewart. But uh, uh, he's, uh, he's a guy who has risen on the board with Tashar Choice in Texas over his junior season. And, after, and this is why you make the school visits. It's not surprising. I love the fact – I love Ricky Stewart uh, and the idea, uh, Jerry, that you're out there. Tell, tell, tell folks about what he – what the other coaching staffs said about him because I thought that was interesting. It wasn't just – it wasn't just the Tyler Chapel Hill guys talking about him. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what I was getting at with Kilgore, um, yeah. talking about how fast he was, right? Yeah. And, and I'm going to make a couple other stops today, and I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get the same answer from people that played him. Um, and then, uh, you know, one other stop I, I made yesterday, which I'm not going to talk about today. Uh, it's a few, we'll talk about it in the future, but it, it was, it was more of the same. They, they think Ricky Stewart is not only fast, but uh, a little faster than you think, um, watch and take, and then you see him in person, but also more physical runner as a junior, especially later in the season versus his sophomore season. So, and I think that's the gradual uh, a progression for guys not named Cedric Benson that come out of eighth grade ready to run over everybody, right? Or Earl Campbell. Uh, so, you know, Ricky Stewart's about 5'11, 190, 187, 188, 190, depending on when you weigh him right now, right? Um, so he's not that big physical guy, but he still runs with physicality. Hey, by the way, Bobby, I was going up 59, and I got to ask, I- I've had a just a, a block on the player. You know, I, Went through Queen City, obviously Jason Peters, future Hall of Famer. Went through Atlanta, Randy Garner. All the names come back to you. But I went through Jefferson, and I'm not talking about guys that signed with Texas. The offensive lineman that signed that was really good at FSU and in the NFL that was a total, just naturally country-strong animal. Do you remember his name? Oh, I went and saw him, Montre Holland. Montre Holland, there you go. I could not – I got a block. I couldn't remember his name. He's still one of the most impressive guys I've seen. You know who his, you know who his, the high school head coach was at, at Jefferson at the time? Yeah. Uh, yes, it was Bennett. Yeah, Jerry Bennett. Phil Jerry Bennett's Bennett. brother. Yeah, yep. and that that was a nice trip. Uh, did you make you? So you didn't go all the way up to Marshall and stuff like that, did you? No, I did not on this tri- trip. I, I will eventually. They have a 2026 offensive lineman. Uh, but I'm at Texarkana today. I'm in Texas, uh, Texarkana today, and. They got to hit two or three schools uh, in East Texas, up in here, and on my way back to Houston. Got it. Lance Jackson, hopefully, will be one of those guys. Hey, hey uh, CJ, I got to ask you about Steve Sarkeesian's press conference yesterday. Um, one of the things that I I noticed, and, and I went back and watched it after you and I talked. Um, you know, Sark just feel it feels like he's kind of zeroing in on this idea of uh, you know, kind of. I guess the best way to say it is he's going to run this and he's going to run it his way uh, with Brandon Harris's elevation to the GM role. I don't know that people are going to see a true college GM, right? This isn't the NFL. We talked about it yesterday. You get that uh, sense as well. And, and tell, tell folks a little bit more about what you, what you thought in retrospect after sitting on, after sleeping on a, on a night of, of Steve Sarkeesian's press conference. Yeah, he spoke about the promotions inside the recruiting department, specifically Brandon Harris. And I thought that there was a pretty clear theme there in terms of the trust that he has in Brandon Harris and kind of the extension that he sees 
uh, of Harris in him. And so I think that that is something that's encouraging for Sarkeesian. Uh, he mentioned everything that is on the plate of a, uh, of a college head coach nowadays in the world of college football, whether it be portal recruiting, high school recruiting, NIL, on-field coaching, uh, all the media opportunities that come as a result of coaching at a school like Texas. Uh, he wants to trust the guy that is making the decisions in the recruiting department. And right now, uh, the way that he explained the role of Brandon Harris in the general manager role yesterday kind of gave me the understanding that there's a lot of trust there. And he's been with Sarkeesian since day one. He actually predates Steve Sarkeesian's time at Texas. So he understands what the 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 do's and and don'ts are at the University of Texas. Plus, he gets the continuity of the staff below him as well. Uh, you mentioned the three other uh, promotions in that recruiting department. Keeping that continuity and the same faces inside the building will continue uh, the process and path in which Texas has been on a very strong, you know, kind of movement in the recruiting world. And so I think Sarkeesian has a lot of trust. And they see this. That was one of the things that I thought was really interesting, the way that Sarkeesian described Brandon Harris. He said the two of them were former quarterbacks. They see the similar uh, kind of details and, and and prospectus a little bit when it comes to evaluations. And so I think that that is uh, something that, you know, you don't, you don't hear a lot about whenever you, you talk about the guys in your recruiting world, how they see guys similarly or not to the head coach. Obviously we talked about it before, but Sarkeesian wants to be uh, the end all be all kind of say and voice when it comes to decisions in the recruiting world and anything that really happens in this Texas football program. But to have a guy that is essentially an extension of how he views players right now and has that level of trust with him in the recruiting department, I think that's really encouraging moving forward. I, I'll say this, too. I think we talk about coaches going to the NFL or whatnot all the time. I'll tell you what a, the value in staying in the college game is. You are your own GM, right? I mean, you are, as Bill Parcell says, you know, you shop for your own groceries, right? I mean, and there is something to be said for that. Nick Saban was the GM of Alabama football. Kirby Smart is the GM of Georgia football. Steve Sarkeesian is now the GM of, of Texas football. And all those guys have very crucial roles under him to keep his organization um, running smoothly and organized. Uh, I think J.M. Jones' job is so, so vitally important as far, from an organizational standpoint. Um, but, yeah, I, I, that's one thing I think we don't talk about enough is um, that in a college game, you are your GM. You're the head coach. You're the GM. You are making all those decisions. Does that mean you have a, a, a right-hand man like a Jeff Banks? Absolutely. Uh, but I, I think that we always just think, okay, this guy's going to go to the NFL. This guy's going to go to the NFL. One of the things about staying, the things about staying in college football, the blue blood jobs, is um, you know you you have total control when you win. No, hey, that's all you have to do in college football. Yep. I mean, it, in pro football, there it, it feels like you got to satisfy the owner, the president, etc. All you have to do in college football is satisfy the fan base. Because then that dictates what the athletic director, the president of the university, and everybody else will do. That is a fundamental difference between college and pro football from a coaching standpoint. You win in college, you're satisfying the fan base. You win in the pros, well, we'll just wait till you only, you only win nine games and then get rid of you because we don't like you. I mean, that that's you're, you're, you hit on something there that's a fundamental difference about job security in college football vis-a-vis pro football. Yeah, think about how many NFL coaches we've seen over the last couple of years get to the first or second round and get canned. I mean, it's 
It's it's rather remarkable. Yeah, I I think that is absolutely one of the the, the issues there is that not only do you shop for your own groceries. I love that line, by the way, Jerry. Uh, but you also get get into this situation where look, I mean, do you really have do you really have a boss if you're the head football coach at Texas? Now I know. Theoretically, yes, Chris Del Conte would be. And, and if Steve Sarkeesian did something untoward like Chris Beard a year ago, there's going to be people that step in and oversee it. But does the football coach at Texas have a what I would call a true boss that can tell him exactly what to do? No, he doesn't. Does an NFL pl- team have one? Does an NFL head coach have one? Absolutely, he has one. And, and the other thing is, if you're an offensive coach in college football, you have total control of your quarterback and who it's going to be. Yeah, you don't have to worry about drafting one. That's right. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck winning in the NFL without a quarterback. Yeah. By the way, uh, we, we got to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl, guys. Uh, I was watching. Oh, I've got a great story from yesterday. I'm glad you let into this. Okay. Good deal. I've got to. I've got to mention Brock Purdy and Kyle Shanahan has been going on and on about Brock Purdy. He's been. I mean, look, he's not. He does not have the arm talent of Patrick Mahomes or. Maybe 75% of the NFL. He doesn't have that arm uh, talent. But I, I was listening to Kyle Shanahan yesterday. And you know what he said that the, the difference is? is processing. He goes, he processes so fast compared to other people that even if he has, you know, 25% of the arm strength or, or 50% of the arm strength, his processing speed makes up for that, especially in a West Coast style offense. So it's not a down-the-field chunk-it offense necessarily. It's about getting people into the right situations and hitting the right people when they're open. I thought that that was something Kyle Shanahan mentioned that was kind of interesting because he doesn't have big-time arm, right? He has a decent arm. Yeah, His arm's not better than Colt McCoy's, you know, to be fair, right? I mean, it's not some kind of crazy one. Uh, but anyways, I want to mention that. Uh, yeah, the, one of the fun things about being out in the road, you'll, y'all know that I grew up in coaches' offices, right? When your dad's a coach, that's the way you grow up. So you just love it. Uh, so the D coordinator at Chapel Hill, uh, Coach McFarland, his father was the head coach at White House when Pat Mahomes came through. And I think he left before Pat's um, – um, I think before Mahomes' senior year maybe, maybe junior, but before senior year. But he said he told he told an interesting story about uh, Patrick Mahomes. And, and I think people that were around his recruitment, like I went to see Patrick Mahomes as a sophomore and I didn't go see him on the football field. I went to watch him on a baseball practice. Right. He was a so- safety as a sophomore. And he was an up and coming co- quarterback prospect. He was a, he was a safety uh, because they had a, a lower division one quarterback that was an upperclassman. And there if they if the White House. Football, basketball, baseball staff hadn't been on the same page and worked together to keep him in all three sports. There was a pretty good chance he was giving up football and basketball to go baseball only. Can you imagine if he had gone baseball only his last two years or last couple of years in high school, how much that would have changed his life? I mean, he probably would have been a drafted baseball player, right? But this guy's now a couple of Super Bowls away from being in a conversation, more, a couple more Super Bowl wins away from being in a conversation is the best ever. 
But just think, you can just go back. There's so many stories like this, but it's so cool. Is that, you know, he thought about, nah, I don't know. I don't know about football at one point. Then the other thing that came out of that story, and and this goes to guys that I think are going to maximize their talent a little bit, understand at a young age. Cliff Kingsbury was really the only big big school uh, head coach that came to see him and was recruiting him. And Cliff came to see him at a basketball practice. And Mahomes actually walked over and shook his hand and initiated the conversation and said, thank you very much for coming to watch me today. It's little things like that that impress college coaches, especially when they're evaluating the quarterback position. That that leadership, that gets it. This guy gets it at a young age, right? Those little things go a long way when you look back on them and how some of these guys maximize their talent and how they develop because they under, fully understand everything around them. I've got to say this. I mean, I just immediately think back to Texas's 10-year window of not really having a quarterback that they could call their own. Yeah. And how all it would have taken you, we, we sit here talking about how Sark really has to just please the fan base, et cetera. Well, the other piece of the, the puzzle here for him is quarterbacks. And he is, that is a focal point for him. You know what I mean by that, Jerry and, and yeah. CJ? That is, that is what he does. We're, Texas is not going to go 10 years without a quarterback. And I'm not saying David Ash wasn't a good quarterback, Sam Ellinger, all those guys, okay? But there was a four- or five-year window where Texas was really relatively weak at that position. And imagine if that if a Pat Mahomes would have went through there at that time. And it was all evaluation. Yes. No, and that was the, that was the, un, that was the crazy thing about it, right? Yeah. Because Pat at that time really had his pick of guys and just kept picking wrong. I mean, we don't need to rehash all the stories necessarily, but, you know, turning down Andrew Luck because Garrett Gilbert's a junior in high school, not taking JT Barrett because he didn't want to upset the Swoops family and taking two quarterbacks. I mean, that's, you know, you just go down the list there and it's uh, um, it's pretty easy to see why you went through uh, some pretty dark days. Yeah. All right, y'all. Hey, I actually interviewed Mahomes back when he was a uh, senior in high school. Maybe he was a junior at a seven-on-seven event, the state qualifying tournament. And I asked him, you know, because by then no one really knew who he was. And he was like, yeah, I'm probably leaning baseball because I'm not getting the offers that I, yep. I only have a couple right now. So it's probably about a 90% chance that I end up playing baseball. People have no, <laughs> no idea how close he was to walking away from football. And the White House staff at that time, um, you know, you never – get the credit long-term for that. But that staff, like I said, football, basketball, baseball, being together, saying, we don't want the, we want this guy to play all sports. We want him to have a chance. We don't want him to walk away and just do one. I think uh, was very, ended up being very, very impactful in uh, Mahomes' career. That's incredible. Yeah, I wonder if that happens at a bigger school though. Yeah. At a 5A or what is now 6A school, that may not happen. Yeah. You may have a you may have a head coach that says, I want you to just play one sport. Yeah. All right. Before I let you tell folks about Austin Underground, I gotta read two things real quick, guys. The super chat from UT Boy. He said Sandman 23 had the best good morning. He did have a good good morning, but it was 
expletive field so i couldn't put it up on the screen and then bruce Knowles, if you'll send your question normal i will fix your super chat and we will get to that so with that said, bobby why don't you tell folks out there about rick vavro and austin underground yeah absolutely our sponsors allow us to do this each and every morning and and to bring jerry back <laughs> to be honest with you uh so we appreciate them very much rick vavro uh, and his team at austin underground since 2004 have specialized in difficult underground in commercial installations. The team's engineering background gives Austin Underground the ability to perform uh, work that other firms often consider just too risky. Rick Vavro and his team offer an end-to-end -end client experience, including seamless communication, budgeting, staffing, and top-notch trade partners. And most importantly, they produce solid quality work each and every time. That's Austin Underground. Uh, thank you very much, Rick, and your team, uh, and good luck to Austin Underground as well as Texas Road. Okay, guys, and he put in his question here, so let me get our comment, I guess I should say. Thank you, Bruce, for the super chat. He says, Gunner has more playoff wins at AT&T Stadium than the Cowboys have. <laughs> Four to three. There's a lot of schools that are in that conversation now. <laughs> I know Kyler probably has more wins than, than the Cowboys in the postseason at Jerry World. And then that kind of thing, he's never lost, I think, at, at Cowboys Stadium. He's like seven or eight, you know. Yeah, I don't think he has. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I, I, and by the way, I don't know if that's a be, uh, family member of Beyonce Knowles, but if you are, uh, shout out. Um, <laughs> uh, but look, we had a somebody's asking about Jonathan Hatton versus Ricky Stewart. Uh, Jonathan Hatton, an Oklahoma committed running back. Well, different classes, 2026. Um, so, I think Jonathan Hatton versus 2026 other running backs in that class is obviously something we'll be getting into in the future. Jonathan Hatton, very talented guy. I went and saw him this year by Cibolo Steele. Um, so saw Deontay Carter, the safety that signed with Vanderbilt. Uh, some of their younger guys. Cibolo's got some really talented skill kids coming up. They should have another very good season. Yeah, I, I was down there about a, a week or two ago. Uh, Hatton, funny story, he was just ready to get recruiting done with. Yes. And so he's not one to to talk about the 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 limelight, the media. He's he he found a spot that he liked in Oklahoma. DeMarco Murray made a strong impression early on. He was like, you know what? Like I had two years left of of high school football, but this recruiting thing, I don't need a whole lot more of it. So he made the made the decision to commit. A lot of schools are still talking to him, but he, at this moment, he's not really interested in, in many others. Well, let's talk recruiting for a little bit. We got some questions regarding that, and we'll jump over to those. This first one from Antoine. He says, any Byron Washington updates? Is he a bigger <laughs> Connor Stroh tackle size playing guard? Uh, I, th I think Byron uh, is on the Texas board somewhere. Uh, he was obviously at junior day. Um, look, I think he's got a – you know, we're talking about a guy that's about 400 pounds. Um it's going to be hard to play effectively in the SEC or at that level at 400 pounds. So he's got to, uh, um, he, he's got to, he's got to work, continue to keep working um, to get to that 350, 360 range, right? I mean, Cam Williams came to Texas about 375. I mean, that was a little too heavy. Um, so I think he's got to continue to work on that. I think he's a guard at the next level. I think if he gets his body where it needs to be, He's got so much natural power on contact, um, and he's going to be so difficult to get around. He has he's got a chance to be a good player, but I think that's that's going to be way out in front of him. 
And then we're going to jump over to the ontexasfootball.com forums here. And this next question comes from Zebred. And I'll try to make it a little bit bigger. Byron Murphy had mentioned in an interview that he had a brother that was 17 as big as him. Is there any chance he plays football? And if so, is there any interest from Texas? I'm going to have to do some research on his brother. I hope he plays. T- I hope he plays football, but I don't know, Jerry. <laughs> I, I know. I know it's not the kid I saw at Kilgore yesterday. They have a 2026 D lineman named Cameron Christian, who is he's in that. And I'm not saying he's as good as Byron, but he's in the Byron Murphy physical uh, uh, body and frame uh, mode. He's six foot and a half, two seventy five, two eighty. Also plays basketball. I I just want to mention this because there's certain things that stand out about guys. Uh, I. When I went to shake his hand yesterday at Kilgore basketball practice, he is six foot and a half with the eleven inch hands. <laughs> so, my, like Mike Bobo, uh, Coach Bobo measured my hand at Georgia camp years ago. It was nine and five eighths inches, uh, because I was watching him do hand measurements. I said, I, I, "What's mine?" And so, Coach Bobo put my hand up there and measured it. But um, eleven inch hands on a six foot and a half person—I'm not sure I've ever seen that before. Honestly, he's hey, got. Maybe Puna Ford. Maybe. That would be one. Who I went to Hilton Head High School, not because I was going to play golf, but I went to Hilton Head High School to see Puna um, because I just thought his tape was too good. And I was like, you know, how tall is he really? Longest arms on a 5'11 human being I've ever seen him probably will ever see. A lot of years in the NFL behind those long arms. He, he, op- he opened the door from the desk without getting up, man. <laughs> the the thing that i would say about guys like that that make me that's that's one of the good things you see i mean you you get these guys that come in 6'4 260 and it's all about what they can do and then you get a guy that's a defensive lineman that's 5'11 and a half 275 280 and ends up being a what eight-year pro is that what he is now yeah well i think look i think i'm gonna say this i think this is what texas has to guard against a little bit if I told you there was a six foot and a quarter, 275 pound defensive lineman that used to be a running back in high school, that's arms were a little short and he wasn't twitched up like Aaron Donald, would Texas take Byron Murphy again today? I think that's an interesting question moving forward. I think Mayo. he says, what do you hear about 2027 quarterback Colton Nussmeyer? He has quite a few Power 5 offers, and I know Sark has a relationship with his NFL quarterback coach, Dad, brother of Garrett from LSU. Yeah, uh, Colton Nussmeyer, lefty. He's a lefty. Uh, started at Flower Mound Marcus some this year. Uh, I think he started a playoff game, uh, and he has begun to get Power 5 offers. You know, it'll be interesting as he as he gets a little older, as, as we kind of watch him, kind of get to know him a little bit. What Garrett has, Garrett's not the biggest kid, doesn't have the strongest arm. I'll tell you what he has. That kid's got a lot of moxie. We had him at the uh, Deion Sanders Prime 21 camp when I was at ESPN Under Armour, and he was kind of popular with the other kids, right? And he was that guy that just had that moxie, whether it's a seven-on-seven huddle, high school huddle, whatsoever. He had command of – his position and of the guys on the field with him. And I thought that was his greatest strength uh, at the time. He's so a big we'll baseball see, player his, his brother's talented. Yeah. Colton's a big baseball player out in Flower Mound as well. So you talk about that lefty arm. There's a lot of juice in there. 
And then this next recruiting question comes from Emmanuel Villafranco. And he says, what players are the true 2025 top three running back prospects? And which ones are Texas making a priority? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, continue. Texas will always be evaluating, right? Um, There's no doubt about it. I I think Jordan Davison's very high on the list. Texas loves a a Kalen Deer uh, out out of Quitman, Mississippi, but I'll be surprised if that one doesn't go Ole Miss's way as of today. And Texas really likes Ricky Stewart, guys. Hey, Jerry, give me a – if you had to put in a crystal ball or RPM pick back in the day, where would you be right now on Ricky Stewart? Oh, Texas, no question. So what – what level, you know, they have the confidence meter and all that stuff. Well, the only hundred percent I ever put in was uh, Micah Hudson, the Texas tech. <laughs> um, what would you put in for Ricky Stewart? 99. Oh, wow. There you as, go. As of today. Well, yeah. but you know, a lot has to play out. Yeah. And you think he's going to come back around in March, right? That's, that's uh, yeah. The- I, th- I think him and his mom um, will be back on campus uh, in March. Yeah. Got it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. All right, guys, we're going to switch gears here and go over to some team-related questions. And, Bobby, we're going to start with this one for you. Sandman23 says, question for Bobby. As of now, what do you predict UT's mm, record will be? I like this question. Year? Go, Bobby, go. <laughs> Your Jerry's trying to get me in trouble, I think. Um, you know, if they get a defensive tackle, I think 10 and 2, 10 and 3, that range. If they don't, 9, 8, I do think it's going to matter in big or in sec play i think that that's going to matter a lot i think they could do as well or more than that potentially um if uh if things fall right they should be good enough on offense to beat anybody the question is whether or not they will be good enough on defense to beat anybody uh that that's that's really what it amounts to for me oh i'm gonna have a game the offense is going to have a game where they sputter a little bit. I mean, hell, Washington had a game where they they sputtered against Arizona State last year. You're, you're going to have games like that, so the defense has to be able to travel. That's my point. And you, you know Georgia is going to come in wanting to say, no, we're the real dogs of the SEC. That game in Austin, Georgia's, you know Georgia's going to try to light Texas up in that just to t- show them who's boss. So I, I, 93, 10, and 2 right now is my initial take on it. Uh, by, by, I, I missed something I should have said because some people have had follow-up questions at running back. Um, one of the interesting things talking to Ricky Stewart yesterday, I put this on ontexasfootball.com, is to Shard Choice, they've told him it's a two-running back class at Texas. 
2025. So just for everybody to know that. Um, I always start with 10 and 2. Um, I'll say this. I look at the Michigan game a lot the same way I looked at Alabama last year. It's a great year to play at Michigan. They lost. And it, it, the difference is obviously new coaching staff, right? Uh, but they lost so much to the NFL. And you play them early. It's a great time to play Michigan on the road. I like Texas right now to win that game. I think Texas, and I think they'll get somebody out of the portal defensive line, but I think they're going to be better at edge. I, I, I think they're going to be a better team this year, but that doesn't mean they're going to be 11-1, and one, right? I mean, it's um, – I, I, I'm going – I always start 10-2 and two unless I look at a team and say, uh, you know, Miami Hurricanes 2000. I mean, you start looking at teams like that where you're just like, I mean, how does this team lose a game, right? I mean, there's very few teams you look at that way. Um, but I'm I'm thinking ten and two, um, upside to eleven and one regular season. What about you, CJ? I, I think it's fair to say ten and two. Um, my, we talked about it a little bit last night. I think this roster alone has the the talent at, at the the meaningful places to be ten and two alone. the The question to me is, can Quinn Quinn Ewers elevate your program, your your roster, and your team? Yeah. Two and eleven and one or twelve and zero. Can he make that run in the playoffs to get you back to where you were a year ago? Uh, that that was to me. I think the roster, especially offensively, has the potential to be one of the best in the country. Uh, right now, what's going to get you over the hump is if Quinn Ewers can take that leap from year two to year three and really be that game changing, like game breaker. If that makes sense, y'all yeah, just realize what we're all talking about here. I mean, Jerry, you're saying you start at ten and two. I mean, three years ago, we were starting at six and six. <laughs> were we not, Blake Monroe? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a that's a move forward, my my friends. Yeah, and, and look, I, I mean, I think if you look at the schedule for Texas, too, uh, you know, with Jim Harbaugh leaving, right? Michigan wins, plus all the guys off to the NFL. See who jumps in the portal in the spring. Obviously, they'll lose a, a few guys. That every kid's not going to stay at Michigan through this much coaching change. Um, and then you look at Florida struggling under Napier. That game looks different than it would have two years ago when you're thinking, okay, can Napier get Florida going? The fact that he hasn't, that game looks different to me. Mississippi State, new head coach, new coaching staff, new quarterback. I mean, it'll be a Blake Shapin, obviously. Um, you just go down, but you go down that schedule, man. Oklahoma, new quarterback, new oh, offensive line. How many returning starting quarterbacks are on Texas schedule? KJ Jefferson, gone. Kentucky, gone. AM, I don't know. Wiegman, Wiegman's often injured. Look at how many quarterbacks were lost on that schedule. Yeah, Jerry, I, I actually looked it up the about a week ago. Eight brand new first time starting quarterbacks on Texas's schedule, four first time uh, head coaches as well. The first this, year, excuse me. So and, and Bobby, I, I said this last night on a live stream. Why I like Texas this year is they got close last year. They got so close to climbing the mountaintop. But it's an easy, great, it's never easy. It's it's but it is in a way. It's a great year to be the head coach at Texas because the guys got a taste of it but they didn't get over the mountaintop. I'll never forget. I talked to somebody at Georgia last year, midway through the season. And they said, we won't win it this year. And I was like, Whoa, because y'all are easily the most talented team. He said, we got too many guys on cruise control, man. 
they hadn't been on cruise control. We have too many guys on cruise control. And he was right. And it, they ended up getting knocked off. And, I'll, you know, now would Georgia have won the national title in the 12-team playoff? Very easily. Maybe they needed to win a game. But last year you couldn't afford to lose a game. Uh, so I think Texas is in a great spot. Sark's in a great spot because the guys got a taste of something they hadn't before. And that includes Nye Black and Isaiah Bond coming in. This is a team that's still very hungry. And that's a great place to be if you're Tory Beckton right now and Steve Sarkeesian in the spring and in August. That was my favorite part of uh, Sarkeesian's press conference yesterday is he talked about his addiction and obsession of getting over the hump. You know, he, you talked about getting a little bit of taste of what it's like to be near that mountaintop against Washington in the Sugar Bowl. He said, you know, for most of the guys, it was a 24 to 48 hour window right afterward in which, you know, they kind of felt bad. They had their heads down and then it got back to work. Sarkeesian kind of sat back and was like, you know, what? that still bites at me. And I still, you know, that it really just lit that fire under me even even more to, to get back to where we were and get over the hump. Uh, I loved what he said, you know, be, about being obsessed about bringing a national championship to Austin uh, because he did the work in the portal. You know, that staff did the necessary moves and in, in additions into the portal to get that roster where it was from a year ago and in, in most instances on the roster a little bit better than where it was a year ago. All right. It's your time to shine, Jerry Hamilton. You need to tell folks <laughs> Bobby's already putting his head down. <laughs> Help us out there about joy mode. Yeah, let's talk about joy mode. I think I speak for most men when I say we want to have better sex, right? And this, for the sake of our partner, oh, we may need to have better sex. The issue is that over-the-counter erection pills contain unregulated chemicals, suggest unsafe doses, and include the risk of several other health problems. That's why we've partnered with our friends over at Joy Mode. Whether you're looking to spice up your intimate moments or increase your confidence in the bedroom, Joy Mode makes all natural and science-backed supplements dedicated to helping men perform better across their core functions. That trade, Their trademark product, the Sexual Performance Booster, is every man's solution for increased blood flow, firmness, stamina, and performance. It's like a pre-workout, but for sex. It comes in a palm-sized packet like your favorite electrolyte powder. Simply mix six to eight ounces of water, 45 minutes before sexual activity, and watch the magic unfold literally. Redefine your intimacy and go use joymode.com for 20% off with code ONTEXAS. That's 20% off free and free shipping with code ONTEXAS to use joymode.com. Ingredients with integrity, that's joymode. I sent some to Blake Monroe, <laughs> just so y'all know. <laughs> There you go, Blake. It's on its way. I'm reporting back. <laughs> Ricardo, Ricardo V. Ricardo V. No, thanks. Don't report back. Don't report back. All right, guys. Well, Bobby, this morning, over on, on Texas football, you uh, you posted some superlatives, and I want to I want to talk about those for a little bit. And we'll just start at the top here, take you at a time. Uh, but you did the recruiting class ones, and for production. You listed Colin Simmons, Ty Anthony Smith, Melvin Hills, and Trey Owens. Yeah, this is fun. Me and Jerry kind of came up with this this morning. We were talking early, and uh, we wanted to do a list of superlatives of what we saw in the recruiting class. CJ, I'd love to get your take on this as well. And and uh, see, but production, for example, Colin Simmons, you know, thirty something tackles for loss as a junior. Ty Anthony Smith played all over the place. Trey Owens was the Houston Touchdown Club Offensive Player of the Year. But the one that surprised, I think would surprise most people, is Melvin Hills. 
I mean, he had 14 and a half sacks. He is, I think, the lowest rated player outside of the punter in this recruiting class. So uh, congrats to him. Then we went on and looked at things like the fastest, Ryan Wingo, Xavier Filsamy, both clocked in the 10 fives, uh, most athletic. Uh, guys, what did y'all think about this most most athletic category? Because I actually think that was more of a question mark in, in, in one that we kind of just went back and forth on. Yeah, I think Jordan Washington, obviously basketball, good basketball player, mm -hmm. uh, AAU basketball player, uh, is a natural to be on that list. Uh, I think Aaron B Butler just looks like an a, a athletic athlete all the way around. Cool. Uh, Kobe Black, really good on the basketball court, especially defensively. Uh, you know, Colin Simmons was a basketball player at a young age at Duncanville, obviously. And, um, you know, Colin Simmons is a guy that you could have probably put on a relay team, not 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 the number one relay team, but a number two relay team at Duncanville. that um, just had some overall athleticism. Uh, you know, Wardell Mack, you could probably throw in there. Xavier Filsamy, obviously, uh, track football. Uh, but there was a, 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 you know, Ty Anthony Smith in that most athletic category as well. Uh, but uh, that's where I think that the, the Texas class is really strong. Um, it, it, I just think there's a lot of quickness, lateral agility, and overall athleticism, and as it should be, it's a number six rate class. But I think this class especially has a lot, CJ. Yeah, I, for acceleration, I love Aaron Butler. I I, I rewatched his film when I was going through my my rankings of the class earlier uh, yesterday, and I mean, for as late of a guy he was added to this class, if you just go back and rewatch his tape that acceleration and burst that he possesses with the ball in his hands is so exciting. And I mentioned it a, a few streams ago. You look at what Texas and Sarkeesian, you know, kind of targeted and, and looked for out of the portal. I feel like Aaron Butler is kind of that perfect mold. You know, he's a guy that has great track times, uh, similar builds to what Texas added with Matthew Golden and Isaiah Bond. I feel like the – Jerry, you mentioned the short, short area uh, kind of wiggle that he possesses. It feels like with the ball in his hands, he can be a, a very dangerous guy at the next level. Um, I, I, Wardell Mack was a guy that that certainly surprised me as well. I liked him. I, I'd also ask Christian Clark and or add Christian Clark in there. I think the one cut ability to get vertical up the field is impressive. He would be another guy that I would add to that that category. But the the two of them there, I 100% agree, Bobby. Yeah, I, I think those are two. I think Christian Clark. I, I, I mentioned his ability to literally make anyone miss. When, when Steve Sarkeesian says he looks like B. John Robinson, what does B. John Robinson do as well as anybody? Make Four people tackles. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that, that's your thing. The one hey, thing hey, I, hey, Bobby, Christian, so Christian Clark is he, he's so good he makes evaluators miss. <laughs> I like that one. All right. Hey, uh physically most ready. What did y'all think about this one? I Jared Gibson, the pictures you put up. Dude, Jarrett Gibson is like when he they ask him to meet a lot meet Anthony Hill in the hole in spring football practice, he isn't gonna skip a beat. I'm just telling you, you know, this guy's five nine and a half, two fifteen. And I mean, I posted some photos on On Texas football with him and Tashar Choice or him at the Under Armour practice. I I mean, that dude's ready to compete in power five football. Uh, at the running back position. And and those guys normally, you know, Cedric Baxter had a longer frame. He needed that. He needed some time. Not, not Jared Gibson, dude. That guy's going to be ready to drop his pads and come uh, March and April. 
What do you, what do y'all see him playing at for the his career at Texas weight wise? I think two fifteen, two twenty. I think he's you know I think he's over nineteen years old, so he's a little older for his class, right? But I think he's just a guy that is at the running back position. You know, I, body type. He's a little similar to Blake Corum. For those that watch Michigan, that's kind of what he's built like. Um, I don't think he's got a lot left on that frame, but if he's 215, 220 for the rest of his career, uh, that's that's a great body type. Yeah. What about toughest? That wasn't real hard. When I said toughest, the immediate word that came out of uh, Jerry Hamilton's mouth was Daniel Cruz. So what I look at with that, Cruz and Nate Kibble, Texas has two offensive linemen in this class that were four-year varsity starters at 5A and 6A programs in Texas. That's very rare. That doesn't happen. So those guys obviously were tough enough as a 14-, 15-year-old kid to where Craig Stump, a former AM quarterback, right, and, and, and the head coach at Richland High, who did a great job with Daniel Cruz, they looked at those guys and said, they can, they're tough enough to handle our schedule and our competition. Those guys are tough. No doubt about it. Four-year starters, 5A, 6A football and offensive line in Texas are tough guys. What the heck? Sorry, guys. I don't know what happened there. Let me fix that real quick. There we go. All right. Uh, NFL prototype. I put Brandon Baker. Uh, I think his combo is frame and athleticism. At that tackle spot, Jerry, I think he's just a prototype. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Ryan Wingo, the size and speed combo. Trey Owens, look, it, it may be an old-style quarterback, but he's that big pocket passer that's an NFL prototype, in my opinion. And then Xavier feels to me with his speed uh, and size combo at safety. Uh, anybody else that y'all would put in the, the prototype segment, CJ? Because I didn't ask you about this before me and Jerry posted it this morning. You know, you have him in body type, the best body type. But I think having seen Zena in person again, I feel like he's on that path eventually to have a, a perfect body type for the NFL. Uh, I mean, he looked very impressive from where I last saw him early in August. Uh, he added probably 10, 10, 15 pounds and just looked the part. And I thought that was the biggest question mark along with motor with Zena is will he be able to fill out and really give you that, that frame? Obviously you, you, you understood what NATO was able to do with his body, but Zena had yet to really put the pieces together there. His body type, I feel like at six, five and a half, six, you know, right at six, five, he was up to two thirty five two forty It looked like he was going to have a perfect body type for the end and eventually move to the NFL. I thought it was a, a, a really welcome surprise there. What about somebody asked in the chat about like Ryan Wingo, who does he remind me of or us of as a wide receiver? I've always said from a frame standpoint, and it'll probably test similar, is uh, Chris Godwin, who played at Penn State and is with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Godwin's a guy that's about C6'1", 210, right? He ran mid 4'4", 4'4", 4'3", 4'4", right? Ran a good shuttle, ran a good Elkhorn, had a good broad jump, had a good vertical. I think uh, that body type uh, with Ryan Wingo is very similar and probably – Similar testing numbers you'll see down the road. I want to say this. Uh, I want to see how he competes for the contested catch downfield. CJ, did you get a sense for that when you when you were at Army at the uh, game in San Antonio, All-Star game in San Antonio? Because I, I will say this, Jerry, if he competes and is a 50-50 or 70-30 ball catcher downfield, 
you're talking about a potential top five pick. If yeah. he does that. Now, if he doesn't, a little bit different, right? Is he so, so, so what Bobby's saying, what Bobby's saying essentially is if he shows Adonai Mitchell's body control, ball skills, fight for the ball, he's a more talented prospect than AD Mitchell. Yeah, that's, he's the wrong fan right now. No, you know, that, he's a 10 500 meter guy. Yeah, and he's I, I didn't get to guy. see a lot of that, Bobby, because he was just so open and he was going against other, you know, fellow All Americans. So that's it's a fair question to ask. I, I see Dante Moncrief in him out of out of college. I thought at 6'2, 6'1 and a half, whatever he was, finished he, he ran a 4'4 flat. If he ends college running anything near that, he's going to be uh, at the worst a day two pick with the potential to be a very high first round pick. But the contested uh, contested catch question is very fair because for most of his high school career, it felt like he was just one in, uh, wide open. I mean, he was just that easily able to get. Uh, into space. And so I, I think that's a very fair question. I think he's got a chance to be a top 10 pick. And uh, if, because I also, the thing that I, I, I saw CJ is I also thought he had natural hands and it looked like he had strong hands. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which typically, typically means that you're going to be good downfield in contested catches. The, the strength of hands really matters downfield. Hey, a, cu a couple of things real quick I've seen in the chat that I want to get to as we can still talk yep. about this. Max Moeller, do you agree the biggest sleeper next season might be Silas Bolden? I actually do agree with that. He's not here for the spring, but I think slot receiver, punt return guy, and you talk about guys who are hyper competitive, compete for the football. Silas Bolden's the undersized, overlooked guy. He has been his whole football career. Now he gets a chance on the big stage in the SEC. He got on a little bit of the stage in Pac-12 last year with Oregon State because they had a really good year. But I think he really is the sleeper for uh, out of the portal and out, on this team next year. I really do. He would be on the acceleration list. Yes. If we were – so that's the one thing I wanted to do by this, also put, putting all these things up, Jerry, is I wanted people to see where we thought they were right now. Yep. Um, and where guys could be in the future, exactly what their strengths are coming in. Silas Bolden, from a acceleration standpoint, and let me give you this. I think he ran a 10-6, 100 meter. So he's fast. He's fast. Right. But you know what he's better at? And, and they run this in, in high school in, in uh, the state of California, the 60 meter. 60, he's accelerate. He's accelerate. So, so that acceleration for him, which you would think he's a smaller guy, 5'8", 5'9", whatever he is. He's that acceleration fast, not necessarily that long fast, but sometimes that's what you need near the line of scrimmage. Jerry, we're 200 days away, 200 plus days away from, from week one. Is Silas Bolden in your starting 11? Like, is he a starting wide receiver for you week one? Yes. 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 He is for me. Me too. Um, 54 I, catches last year, guys. Yeah. 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 If he's not, it's just because he wasn't in for spring. But I, I, I think you're going to see – Isaiah Bond, um, I think five receivers are kind of going to rule this team next year. Uh, obviously, Isaiah Bond, Matthew Golden, John Tay Cook, Silas Bolden, Ryan Wingo. That's where I'm going right now. Uh, by the way, David Keith Williams had another great one. Uh, after we're done here, Blake, pull up Florida's schedule next year. Because David Keith Williams, talking about Florida's clearly not a good team, uh, their schedule is by far the toughest in the nation. Their schedule, Florida's next year, is the toughest I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> in the history of college football ever 
ever. Yep. It's yep. brutal. I, I I'll run through this and I'll pull it up. You need to win eight for your job. I'll say that. Hey, but, what about strongest hands, Daniel Cruz and Alex January? I think that, yep. that's kind of self-explanatory. Football IQ was one we talked about a lot, Jerry. I mean, this was hard to quantify. It's one of those intangibles, right? And not everybody, this is one of the things that we said, not everybody has had the opportunity really to display football IQ. Yeah. Like, how do you tell if Brandon Baker has a really high football IQ? It's yeah. kind of hard, right? Um, but Jordan Johnson, Rebel, Daniel Cruz, Ty Anthony Smith, a couple of guys showed up on this list a little bit more often than maybe their ranking would uh, have indicated. Yeah, Ty Anthony Smith for me. So uh, I went to Jasper, I think, three times, two or three times uh, in the last year. But the coach, uh, coach Cremody there does a great job. He's the, he was the OC at Manville uh, when, uh, when, when they had their really good runs there. And he's from Jasper. Uh, so he's known Ty Anthony a long time. And he always made mention of the football IQ that Ty Anthony has. He could ask him to do anything. And he could process it and pick it up and take it onto the field. But he also said, you know, and that that within that was his defensive scheme. He could play middle linebacker. He could put him on the edge. Different assignments. He could handle all that. Um, you only do that at a small. Just think back to Earl Thomas played safety, corner, running back, and return kicks. That's a lot for a 16, 17-year-old kid. So those guys tend to have really good football IQs great feel for the game, understand the information they're being told, and can take it to the field. Uh, Ty Anthony Smith seemingly is one of those guys if you talk to the Jasper staff. Family tree is always a fun one, Jerry. That's like, you know, is your dad a coach? Is yeah. is someone in your family a, a, a former pro athlete? Aaron Butler's dad played in the league. Ryan yeah. Wingo's brother played at Arkansas. Santana, Santana Wilson's dad was an all-pro uh, Alex January's dad played at Texas. Kobe Black's dad played at Kansas State. There's a lot of those type of guys, but those were the main ones. Yeah, um, I want to mention the multiple positions in high school. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take out and talk about Christian Clark here. Christian Clark, not many people realize this. He led his team in tackles as a junior, with limited snaps as, as a linebacker. Yeah. Okay. So. I, I do not want to use and invoke this name, okay? But it reminded it reminded me a little bit of a guy named Ladanian Tomlinson when I went and saw him at Waco University. I literally went to go see Waco University High School, Ladanian's sp uh, spring, Ladanian's spring into a summer, yeah. uh, basically of his senior year. So he was a high school junior year, and they were having spring practice, right? And so I go up there. And I'm watching a linebacker at Waco University named Wayne Rogers that ended up signing with University of Houston and was All-Conference USA. And R Wayne Rogers, I, I, I kept watching him, and I'm like, okay, but the other linebacker is making all the tackles. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, who is that? Oh, that's our running back. <laughs> I mean, the running back that rushed for 2,000 yards was also making eight, eight, 80 to 100 tackles in a year. Um, and, you know, LaDainian Thompson's, by the way, five foot nine. Yeah. On a good day. Yeah. So size did not matter. And I think Christian Clark, I'm not saying he's LaDainian Thompson. Don't, don't get me going on that. But there's something about that guy that finds the football 
and does not mind contact once he gets there. And, and I'll tell you this, um, seeing Christian Clark in person at Austin Bergstrom Airport after his official visit, uh, he is strong in his lower body. And to play with the power and violence he does, like you said, at linebacker, then at running back, you have to naturally be strong in your hips and your legs. That's a lot of that is a lot of driving through people at linebacker and at running back. And it in and, and that transitions from both sides of the ball. These are always fun. I, CJ, you think uh, of the basketball guys, you think uh, Jordan Washington or Kobe Black wins the one-on-one competition? Oh, that's fun. I, listen, Jerry said Kobe Black's a good defender. I actually got to see him a little bit in action whenever I went to go see Trey Wisner when he was still in Waco Connolly. That was a fun team. Jelani McDonald was still there as well. So uh, they, they got a lot of length. Kobe's a great defender. I, I like Jordan Washington. I think he's far and away the best hooper in this class. I mean, he was an AAU kid. His uh his team is is pretty, you know, pretty popular in the world of AAU basketball, especially if you're on the TikTok side of things. So I, I'm going Jordan Washington there. I got you. Keep going down a little bit. Uh, did Parker Livingston, would he have had a chance in the in Major League Baseball? That was my understanding, right, uh, CJ? I'd like to give it to him, but I don't think so. Uh, okay. His brother, on the other hand, went to Texas Tech, started his career right. there, and has since transferred. He was up to about 93, 94. Uh, but, but I think Parker will even tell you, you know, he was good at baseball, probably not uh, to the, you know, pro leagues. Gotcha. All right, I'll make that change on the article. Um, keep going down a little bit. This is the last one I want to mention here is uh, the four-year high school starter, guys. Two of the offensive linemen were yeah. four-year high school starters. Very rare. Very, very rare. Think about that. And then Gibson and Rubel transferred into IMG, and they were starters at their pre- previous high schools. And, and, I, and I've always said about Jarrett Gibson and Jordan Johnson Rubel, one of my biggest takeaways uh, from my trips to IMG, and obviously I used to go down there a lot, uh, but I went down there last spring. They were both considered the leaders of the program. And if you're the leader of the IMG program, those guys are normally really good players because they get it. So just something to keep in mind there with those guys. If, if, if you have enough to be a, considered a leader at IMG, that says something about it. It's more than the football. It's about everything that goes in the football. That's just something to remember with those guys. Hey, hey, hey Blake, can you pull up that Florida schedule? As I was about to say, I got the Florida we schedule can see ready. A, a, an 11 car crash right here. Let's uh, okay. let's take a look at it here. Three wins. I'm in the chat going nuts. Three wins. I mean, Bobby, they have, think about this schedule 11 power five games. In Billy Napier's make it or break it year, they have Miami and UCF and FSU in the same season, along with this SEC schedule. Samford is your only game that you walk into and you say for sure you're going to win. Have you ever seen that on a schedule? I mean, that is a brutal schedule. I mean, think about but, it too. By the way, they're the only team that has their quarterback coming back through the first five games. I mean, a And M has it coming back, but he only started one game last year. Well, we talked about it. Does he stay? Does Graham Mertz remain the starter through the duration of this season with DJ Lagway coming in? That was kind of the conversation that we have in the in the chat. Graham Mertz, obviously, a lot of experience at the quarterback position. 
he's not going to be a big difference maker. I mean, the only thing that what they have going for him is at least they have home games. Well, look, that's a brutal schedule. When that final five, the final five is not fun for them. Georgia, (laughs) Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, Florida State, not a week off among November's going to suck. And that's why I said, is, 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 is Billy Napier on the plane to Austin at that point? Because, <laughs> I mean, if you look at that, I mean, just think you start in Miami. It look, it, it, so how, here's the thing. is can, Florida can't out-talent people right now. It's not the Florida we think of. They might start five and two or four and three and end up five and seven or four and eight. Yeah. That is a brutal schedule. I mean, look at that. The November from hell. Yeah. Georgia. Good luck. Texas away. LSU. <laughs> They've got an old Miss, Florida State. That they could be 0-5 in November and Billy Napier could be maybe they could be really happy starting off their season five and two and end up five and seven. Yeah, they get KJ Jefferson at UCF now as well. So another- that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. like. You, you think K.J. Jefferson was good at Arkansas? Wait until he's at UCF under uh, Gus Malzahn. And that's yeah. Get ready to run the football. That, that's the one thing, though. Florida did a good job. They do have a good defensive front. Yeah. So that they'll, they'll stick in some games, I think, that people aren't necessarily thinking they'll stick in. Whether or not they can put points on the board is a different story. And the question, the question with that schedule is when you see, like, what's your health of your team going to be late in the season? I mean, it, when you don't, when Samford's your only game, you walk in and you say, "Okay, we're we're just much more talented than they are." I mean, you get that's a schedule that beats you up, beats the hell out of you physically. If he doesn't win the opener at home against Miami, watch out. <laughs> oh man, South Carolina also has a pretty tough schedule. Not nowhere near as Florida's level, but it's close. By the way, Phil McIntosh, great point. Florida couldn't beat broken FSU with a backup quarterback at home. Just remember that going into the next year. Now, Florida had a really good class, but they're freshmen. And what, what will Florida do in the portal this spring? Because they were 10 in, 24 out. CJ and I talked about this earlier uh, uh, last week, I believe earlier this week. 10 players in from the portal, 24 out. Florida's going to have to do a little damage in the portal this spring as well. Yeah, but we Florida against seven and five, seven and five, and it's not enough, obviously, to keep your job. It'll be interesting. Well, before we take some more questions, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell folks out there about Rick Vavro and Austin Underground. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks to Rick and his team for sponsorship uh, since 2004. Austin Underground has specialized in difficult underground commercial installations in the city of Austin and around town. The team's engineering background gives Austin underground the ability to perform work other firms often consider just too risky rick vavro and his team offer an end-to-end client experience including seamless communication budgeting staffing and top-notch trade partners and most importantly they produce solid quality work each and every time that's austin underground Uh, we appreciate you rick vavro and team well since we're talking about schedules gus fleener wants to know how many times do you think we played georgia this year (laughs) Well, you hope you play them three times. Well, three, not just one, not just twice, but three. Your hope is you play them three times because that means you, that means you played regular season, SEC championship game, and in the playoffs. That means you've had a really good year of football. So you hope to play them three times. 
I I would suffice. I would be I would be okay with just two, Jerry. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to just like slaughter yourself. No, but that's the hope. That's your best case scenario is you play Georgia three times next year. Yeah, I'm not. You know, the best case is actually only playing them twice. That's, that's <laughs> actually, where they actually lose out, so you don't have to go up against it again. Because I do think they're a team. Um, you know, you mentioned late in the year, Jerry, about Florida and will they be healthy enough, right? That's what I would say about playing a team like Georgia three times. Yeah. You, you want to play them as little as possible because they are a team that could be a physical issue, right? Yeah. So I, I would say you hope to only play them twice at most. Georgia's, then, Georgia's got a little tougher schedule next year than they've had the last two or three years, by the yeah. way. Oh, well, it can't get much softer than it was last year. No, nah, no, nah, it's not possible. Uh, Champ Bailey 3 asks, if Texas beats Michigan in week two, do you think that makes Texas number one the start of week three? <clears throat> no, because this Michigan's not going to be viewed the same way. Uh, that's the difference. And, and Georgia will probably start the season as the number one, right? So if you beat Michigan, I think it, I think it's set you up to be number two. Uh, but Ohio State, I mean, look, what are we, what are we, is that? What's everybody thinking? Georgia one, Ohio State two, Texas three. Preseason rankings. Where do you think Texas is three or not, Bobby? What we're saying is where are they going to be ranked? Boy, if Will Howard wasn't the quarterback at Ohio State, I just love Ohio State's team. I think you might be looking at a, a Michigan JJ McCarthy season from them. Like that, I think they have that much talent. Not, he's not even JJ McCarthy though. I think he's a pretty good college quarterback. I think he can make enough plays to get you over the hump, especially with the weapons around him. I, I like Will Howard. I'm, Ryan Day would have to change his offense. That's the bigger question to me than Will Howard is. Okay. Can Ryan Day put the pieces in positions more so than what he can bring to the field, if that makes sense? Um, yeah. But with the pieces that returned and did not declare for the NFL draft, I look at Ohio State's roster and think, you know, they can compete with just about anybody in the country right away. Loaded. So, so you know what I think about Ohio State? <clears throat> I'm, I'm a little different on them. I think recruiting class rankings are always going to be where they are for them. I'm not sure they've recruited speed as well under day as they did under Urban. I'm talking speed at linebacker, all positions. I think they're very talented. I think they have a top three, four roster in college football. But Urban had that thing where – you could say, okay, they may actually be the most talented roster uh, in college football. I think they were a tick faster team under Urban. I could be wrong. That's just my impression. Somebody's mentioning a Bill O'Brien. If he doesn't get the head coach job at Boston College, he is the OC at Ohio State. <laughs> if Steve Sarkeesian hired Bill O'Brien, that may be – the straw that that would be the one thing where I couldn't I probably couldn't get go with you on that one, Steve. <laughs> that would be that would be like a bridge too far. I don't understand that hire it, ever. I don't. I, am I wrong? Bill O'Brien coming back to coach any teams that have you know fans that share with the Houston Texans just would never happen. That <laughs> anybody from Houston would be up in arms right outside of Moncrief with the pitchforks and uh and 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 fire sticks ready ready to go. Let's give away our best receiver for pocket change <laughs> because I don't like him and he and I don't get along. That'll work real well. 
And not to mention the fact that he couldn't, you know, he he's he's one of those offensive coordinators that makes things too hard, in my opinion. Yeah. I right, Todd Lathy with a loaded question. What does Texas need to do better in 24? Rush the passer in the SEC. Rush the passer. Um I think obviously it's easy to say goal line offense, but I'm I want to break this down a little bit more. Running the ball in the goal inside the 10 yard line. Because here's the reality. You're going against larger humans and more athletic humans on a week-in, week-out basis. That next step for an offensive line um, is to get generate more push, win more one-on-one battles um, in the red zone running the football, and especially inside the 10. For me, that's a big, that's a big thing in the SEC because it's an it, while it's a the play calls in the passing game are so huge in the red zone and they're critical. It's an impose your will league a little bit and showing the that you can impose. Look, Georgia may not have the most fun offense to watch for two or three years, but you know what? You never question them at the line of scrimmage when it mattered. I, yeah. I'm going to go a little bit separate. I, I think that what they have to do is red zone offense on offense in particular. And it has to be Quinn Ewers being more deadly in the red zone with quicker, quicker decisions, uh, stronger throws, fitting things in, and then finding a, a niche for him. He doesn't have to be great, the, you know, have every trick in the book in the red zone, but he needs to start being able to fit some balls in. And, and then the other thing I think is the secondary. And they have to be better in the secondary in 2024. First half, uh, first half, I mean, they they almost lost a, T, a TCU team that had no business really sticking with them because right. they had such problems. They they almost lost to Kansas State because of it. They almost lost to, to Houston because of it. They lost to Oklahoma because of it. No, I don't, I don't think they lost to Washington because of the secondary, by the way. I think Michael Penix would have thrown the ball on a dime to anybody against anybody that day. But the, the, the near losses – Every single one of them, I think, come back to the 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 secondary problems in the secondary. It, it, right? I mean, the near losses were Houston, TCU, Kansas State. Here's my thing: there is where can Texas get better? Is a lot of that is Sarkeesian in my eyes as well. You know, you get up twenty points, and then what happens? Your offense sputters for a little bit. Points aren't added to the board. That lead evaporates as a result of teams needing to throw the ball to keep up. That's also a next step that I could see Texas needing to take as well. It starts with the head man. Yeah, and and, and you mentioned this earlier. Quinn Ewers taking the next step overall. Definitely. I mean that that that's. I think that gets them out of sputtering at midfield. And, and I'll say this too. Um, why I think pass rush is so important is, look, I, I think the Big 12 has really good coaches, um, but you're going to face a higher-level athlete. Just look at the NFL draft. So you can't ask your secondary to cover forever in the SECLs. These guys are going to be racing by you in every direction. Pass rush has to improve quite a bit from the edge uh, for Texas moving forward in the SEC. It's just going to be required. Can I go one more that's kind of off the beaten track a little bit? Y'all have mentioned the, the, the big ones, pass rush, red zone, quarterback. I, I agree with all of them. There's one I wanted to uh, – that's a question mark to me. Texas needs to be better with their linebacking run fits. 
I think that's a big one. When you're not going to have the big space eaters up front uh, of a Byron Murphy or Tavondre Sweat, for Anthony Hill, this spring specifically, I think it's going to be huge for him to get more consistent in finding the right run fits. Uh, David Benda, Kendrick Blackshire, I know that run fits is kind of their, their strength, if you will, as a linebacker. Can they be able to piece that together consistently over down in and down out? Um, I, I'm looking at that. If if they're not going to have those big time, you know, dominant defensive linemen as we've seen over the past two seasons, the linebackers are going to have to have more on their plate. I'm, I'm looking to see if they'll be able to take that next step this spring to maintain a solid run defense that we've seen under PK. Hey guys, we're going to go over to the on Texas Football dot com forums for this next question and by the way i forgot to mention earlier jerry you dropped some good uh recruiting nuggets over there this morning and so you need to go check that out if you haven't already at on texasfootball.com but this next question oh gosh that's small let me make it a little bit bigger for y'all <laughs> daniel honorato says the sark said at his press conference yesterday that talent such as jaron thompson left on their own accord while I'll appreciate our coaching staff's honesty with recruits and current members of the roster, but what does this, what does Jaron's self exit say about the other guys in the room? Um, look, I, I actually had a conversation uh, with somebody about this. Um, people can go back and look at where I was on the road this week, earlier this week. And this stop, they said, Jaron knew the talent of Derek Williams and some of those guys and knew he didn't have a, a good strong year um and so i think that was a, a decision that jaron made that he thought was best for him i think he put himself in the doghouse you know with some off-field stuff in the spring last year if you don't if y'all recall the very first game of the year he was sitting on the sideline to start yeah. the game and you know that's not what you wanted out of what was supposed to be a senior leader now, I thought he came back and had a decent second half of the season. But to Jerry's point, I think that speed slash athleticism probably not there for what Texas is looking at going forward. And look, uh, here's the thing to remember. Like, we talk about the talent of guys all the time. The guys in the locker room know who's talented, too. Yeah, They know, oh, this Derek Williams guy, ooh, this is what he looks like in year one without being here in the spring. What's he going to look like in year two? I mean, these guys aren't dumb, man. I mean, there's some guys who uh, 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 maybe they have such a high confidence meter in themselves, they're not aware of what's around them. And sometimes those guys don't even need to be. But if you're aware of what's around you and you follow – these guys follow recruiting. They know who's coming in. They watch the huddle tapes. And when they see them in person, they, these guys know who's very talented in their own locker room. And they know – now look, it's not running from competition. That's not what this is. But they also know when they're up against it. Good point. All right, Burt Reynolds Jr. says, is Kenny Baker Texas' most important position coach of the 24 season? I don't know about most important. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't know if any position in that way as far as a position coach is most important. If anything... If I were to say any of them, it would probably be wide receiver because they're the ones with four out of the top five are probably going to be newcomers. And, and it's a complex system. Yeah. Like we talked about this on TexasFootball.com. We had some questions about how much would Ryan Wingo play. Look, UT boy, Jonte Cook, here we go. Jonte Cook's extremely talented. I think he's going to have a really good sophomore year. 
as a freshman, that is a difficult system to play in as a wide receiver. Look at the pre-stat movement. Look at the playbook. And look at how much you have to remember and then be able to take it on the field and have freedom as an athlete. It, it, so I think, to, to Bobby's point, even though Isaiah Bond, Matthew Golden, Silas Bolden, who I think all three are tremendous, they're still coming in and learning a more complex system. There's more in this system for wide receiver. So I think Sark, who also coaches wide receivers along with Chris Jackson, Chris Sark is involved. They have a big job getting all these guys up to speed, and Bolden won't be here for the spring. Getting all these guys up to speed in, in this system and a complex offense that there's a lot to learn um, and just with more complexity, some other offenses. Okay. This will be the last question for today, fellas from Mike D who do y'all have to win the Super Bowl? He personally has the chiefs by 13. I'm going, I'm going with, I'm not, I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes, but I have a sneaky suspicion that the overall talent level at San Francisco on defense is going to give them a problem. I, I, I think this is going to be closer, and I, I would not be surprised if San Francisco wins. I'm just not betting against Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid, for that matter. Yeah, I'm rocking with the Chiefs. I can't – I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes. Chief, uh, Niners secondaries look susceptible against the Lions and the Packers the last two rounds of the playoffs. Uh, I think they kind of hit a, a wall in the, the back end of that season. Patrick Mahomes it, for somehow is still finding ways to win football games despite not putting up many points in these playoff games to me says their defense is ready for the challenge of the weapons uh, for the 49ers. I'm rocking with uh, the chiefs. I've got them nine to one preseason. So I'm rocking with them. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think Baltimore Ravens had a tremendous defense, a tremendous defense. Um, uh, I like, I like the chiefs. Yeah. I got San Francisco by four. All right. No problems with that. No problems with that. Hi, uh, Bobby. What you got coming on later today right here on On Texas Football? Well, we got football theory uh, coming up. Uh, I think we're going to have some baseball stuff, too, as well. Right, right Blake, uh, doing that. Uh, then uh, really focused a lot today on the website. Uh, come join us at ontexasfootball.com. Uh, we went through those superlatives. Jerry put some notes up already. CJ's got an article or two coming as well. Uh, just join us. It's free. Uh, ontexasfootball.com. Feel free to post questions there. Jerry, myself, uh, CJ, Blake will all be on there today answering. We also try to uh, keep up with the Twitter accounts of uh, people that are important so that you get an up-to-date running of what's going on in, in that universe uh, as it relates to the University of Texas as well. So please feel free to join us on texasfootball.com. Uh, we'll also have some uh, news and notes uh, up later today there as well. I can't believe none of us said this about the Super Bowl. And I hate to say it, I'm going to get crushed in the comment section. When's was, the last time Taylor Swift lost anything that mattered? <laughs> Her boyfriend, like every time. Wait, that, hey, she, just, she makes $50 million every time she breaks up with somebody. She writes some songs. But look, she 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 hasn't lost in a while. Okay, so you got to rock with or you got to roll with the person who's been winning. Hey, there, you can actually prop bet right now on if, if he's going to propose to her after the game. It's an actual prop bet at the moment. Gary's <laughs> oh, thinking about it. The world would. <laughs> hey, look, Rod Babers, by the way, uh, uh, Rod is going to be back today. Uh, he had a little setback from his uh, 
stuff that he went under uh, the the oral surgery he had uh, on Monday. But he is headed to the Super Bowl, by the way. Uh, he and uh, he's going to go leaving on Friday, but he'll be with uh, Coach Shipley today on Football Theory. Okay, guys. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of Coffee and Football. I want to thank Austin Underground and Rick Valvro for sponsoring today's show, along with Joy Mode. Thank you all for tuning in for the super chats, the great conversation in the chat as well. And uh, like Bobby said, head on over to ontexasfootball.com. Come join us and just be part of the community. You'll guaranteed good time for sure on there. So, and of course, Jerry's recruiting notes. See, like he, CJ's articles coming up here as well. So don't miss that. And uh, for CJ, Bobby, and Jerry, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Hook them, guys. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.